The chapter of Isaiah, the ninth chapter, verses one through four. There will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, the Lord brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken us as on the day of Midian. Word of God, word of life. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulon and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulon, land of Naphtali, On the road by the sea, across the Jordan, Gentile of of the Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. As Jesus went from there... He saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets. And Jesus called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. This is the gospel of the Lord. May be seated. So I toyed with a whole bunch of titles for this sermon. There can be all kinds of them. One that I tried was fishing and light or fishing with lights. If you've ever done that, you know what I'm talking about. I've got a story coming up about that. 
Or how about this one? Hello, disciples. The scripture is one of those that is quoted so often and quoted so often out of context. Follow me and I will make you fish for people. Or for some here that are, that are more experienced and are, and might better recognize the language of, um, older translations. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men, right? Many of us have some familiarity with this story about fishing contained in today's gospel lesson from Matthew. It also brings out our tendency when we know stories really well to not go actually back to the story, but just help let our memory sort of go with it and fill in the gaps in the story with details from our own context. You know, we think that we remember the story and all that stuff. It's interesting how we seem to read the Bible sometimes. We tend to filter everything through our own worldview our own culture, and our own life setting. And sometimes there's nothing wrong with that, but other times it limits us, right? For example, when most of us think of fishing, if I say to you, fishing, what do you think about? And go straight to, how do you fish? With a rod and a reel, a pole and a net, and a hook and a worm or some other kind of bait, right? Not fishing with a net. Many a preacher has elaborated on the analogy along the lines of a fishing pole, reel, line, worm, and hook, and then carry the metaphor to hooking converts and reeling in new believers. Because you see, even preachers get it wrong. Not too often. Just kidding. I would tell you with great respect for all of those preachers and all of them who use that metaphor and that illustration, that they are on thin ice when it comes to the exegesis of this actual passage, you know, the interpretation of the scripture as to actually how the disciples were fishing for people. This kind of fishing envisioned in this text and the way Peter, James, and John, and Andrew fished was with nets, not poles. Their fishing was not line fishing with a pole, a hook, and a worm, but casting a net and hauling in the net filled with fish. Notice it says in verse 18, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. In verse 20 it says they left their, not their poles, not their the rods and reels, they left their nets. And in verse 21 it says mending their nets. But still when we hear fishing we go, okay, get the rod and reel, here we go. <laughs> Now, to be sure, the ancient world knew of line fishing as well. In Matthew 17, verses 24 to 27, it talks about going to the lake and casting a hook and catching a fish. But that's not what was envisioned in the imagery of fishing for people. We're told that the kind of net that was probably used was most likely round in shape, with weights all around the edge, almost like a hula hoop with a net. Fishermen would either stand on the shore and repeatedly cast their nets into the water or drop their nets from a boat. In Matthew 4, the nets used were those tossed from the shoreline. The occupation of fishermen when using a net was extremely labor-intensive and very hard work. Jesus' point in using this illustration very likely could have been one or more of the following. The strenuous nature of evangelism. It's very much like fishing with a net. It's very labor-intensive and extremely physical in nature. The work ethic and devotion that's required is more than just a focus on the skill of fishing itself. Or how about this one? Persistence and dedication to the task, often in spite of minimal results. 
And this final one, the infinite value of this new catch. That should be self-explanatory. So sometimes, you see, we get so stuck on the fishing metaphor that we forget about the other major reality. Two striking truths dominate our scripture readings this morning, both Isaiah and Matthew and the way that they're connected. In both this Isaiah passage and this Matthew passage, we find these amazing truths about our Lord and Savior. Jesus came to bring light and Jesus came to call followers. A story. Fishing with lights in Oklahoma. Lines or nets. So many fish, they're just about jumping into the boat. I was, it was 1972, yes, I'm that old. <laughs> I was in ninth grade, and in ninth grade, my father, who worked for the Unirail Tire Company, was transferred from Detroit, Michigan to Ardmore, Oklahoma. Ardmore, Oklahoma is right on I-35, 35 miles from the Texas border, 100 miles from Dallas, 100 miles from Oklahoma City. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) The only thing there for many years was an Air Force base. The Air Force base got closed. Uniroyal Tire came in and took part of the Air Force base and built this big tire plant. They were popular. My dad came home from work one day and he said, okay, we're moving to Oklahoma for nine months because I have to set up the machinery in this new plant. I went, no way, ninth grade. Oh, and there's one other thing. You know how you went from middle school to high school for ninth grade in Michigan? You're going back to the junior high school when you get to Oklahoma. So the the compromise was in Oklahoma, at the age of 14, you can get a license to drive on the street a motorcycle under 5 horsepower. So guess who got a 5 horsepower Honda CL70? (laughs) Yes, it was a bribe. (laughs) So, but it it was a good experience for near nine months, as they say down there. I made some friends, and one of those friends invited me to go fishing. Fishing on Lake Murray. Now, Lake Murray isn't really a lake. It's really a reservoir. It was man-made. And um, in Oklahoma, they don't have conservation laws and fishing licenses the way that they do in some other places. And so imagine my surprise of usually fishing in Michigan with a fishing license or in New Jersey with a fishing license. To know that, first of all, we didn't need a license. And second of all, when we, when we got the boat out in the middle of the lake, before they brought, broke out the poles, guess what they broke out? Lights. It was dark. You know what happens when you put lights over the edge of the boat in the dark? Guess what happens? All the fish in the lake come over to the lights. So it was a really hard job of fishing. You put your line in, you pulled it in, you pulled the fish in. And that went on for a long time. So we were being pretty successful, right? We were fishing for fish, and we were catching them like crazy. They were just about jumping into the boat. Too bad this light coming from the lights we put around the boat, like the fish in Oklahoma do, that not the light or coming to the light that takes away the sins of the world. When we spend too much time on the fishing part of today's gospel message and miss the pure joy of the words the writer of the gospel, Matthew, takes from the poet prophet Isaiah. It's in both passages. It says, the people who sat in darkness have seen what? A great light. And those who sat in the region and the shadow of death, light has dawned. 
Now a story, another story, but this time about a lack of light and finding it again. This is from a preacher who tells of having a summer job working in the mine in Timmins, Ontario, Canada. A number of years ago, while he was in seminary, his father was the chief mining engineer, so we know how he got the job. His job was to go into the mine each day, crawl over the freshly blasted rock, and sample what they called the face of the drift. Now, the way I understand the face of the drift, that's the mass of loose rock waiting to be removed from the mine after the blasting took place. Well, one day, while he was getting his samples from the face of the drift, the headlamp he wore went out. You see, he was 1,300, that's 1,300, feet down, and 1,500 feet out, that's 1,500 feet out, in the middle of a huge underground rock formation where there was no light. He says, you have not seen dark until you've been without a light in the middle of a pile of rocks a quarter of a mile under the earth. This was the kind of dark that truly qualifies for the term thick. To quote the preacher, it was terrifying. I literally inched and felt my way back toward the main shaft. Without light, the way was treacherous. He continues and says, it took an hour and it felt like days to reach a bend in the drift where a tiny beam of light from the main shaft penetrated the darkness. Now get this part. He says, I took the psalmist to heart and let out a shout to God with the voice of joy, as it says in Psalm 47, when I got this little glimpse of light. You see, there is an emotional and spiritual equivalent of this kind of terrifying thick darkness. And if you have ever been through a dark night of the soul, or if you have ever been, in, as the Isaiah passage says, in the region and shadow of death... You know how oppressive the light, the darkness can be. And when the darkness finally lifts, even when it is a tiny beam of light, you experience a joy that you had not known for a long time. Are you with me so far? That's exactly what Jesus does in our scripture. Jesus brings joy and light to heart. And also to hearts that have been locked up. In darkness, sometimes deepest darkness, in the region and the shadow of death. And when Jesus brings light, it is to that light, that bright shining light, that we begin to discover what we are called to do, who we are, and whose we are. Jesus said in John Jesus said it this way in John 8 verse 12. I am the light of the world. Those who follow me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Did you hear that? Will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus came to bring light, but that's not all. Here's where our text gets really interesting. The writer of the Gospel of Matthew moves from the proposition that Jesus is the light to the proclamation Jesus made. In a straight-ahead phrase, Jesus states the crux, you know, the main point, the center of his message. In so many words, it is, here is how the light of God comes. Examine your life and make the changes you ought to make because the reign of God is at hand. The wonderful truth here is that when God is in charge of our lives, when we welcome God to be in charge of our lives, the light comes. Thanks be to God. 
You see, Jesus came to call followers. Every significant teacher in every age, each one of them has followers or disciples, right? John the Baptist, he had followers. They went out into the desert and found them and saw them eating bugs, and they still followed them. Plato and Aristotle had disciples. They all kind of wandered around together, and they even got to the point where some of them killed each other, killed, killed themselves at the instruction of their their. their People they were following. Gandhi had followers. Many of them were not Hindu, like Christ, but Christian, like Martin Luther King Jr. and theologian and poet Howard Thurman. Mother Teresa had followers. All kinds of people have followers. But back to the gospel lesson. What is amazing is the way Jesus went about choosing his disciples. Where did he go to recruit disciples? Who did he choose? Well, Jesus went to the shores of a small lake in northern Israel in a region called the Galilee. It's a lake, you know, that the Arab people call Lake Gennesaret and the Jewish people call the Sea of Galilee. Jesus went to that shore and he called these fishermen called Simon and Peter and James and Andrew and John. And Jesus sort of said to himself, hmm, let's how about some let's get put some fishermen on the team and then for warmth a few tax collectors. Why would Jesus go to the likes of fishermen and tax collectors to recruit people, these people, for his mission, an important mission, of bringing his message to the whole world? That flies in the face of everything we know today about building a successful and highly functioning team. Yet if you really think about it. This is an absolutely amazing thing. Even a God thing. All of this because I believe God is interested in reaching ordinary, everyday, run-of-the-mill, average, regular people. Know any of them? Had Jesus recruited only the most religious, holy, pious people of his time, most of us would be left out. I know I would be. Hopefully... The thought that jumped into your mind when you heard the definition of yourself, you said, if Jesus can use a fisherman, he can use me. Now, I know for some of you, fisherman is a problem because you don't like fishing. The fisherman, he says, follow me and I will make you fish for people. I used to think that this was the only model that there was. If you don't fish, you can't, be a, you can't go out and do discipleship. Or maybe you hate fishing. You were made to do it and you didn't like it and all that. Well, and then you might think, well, if I don't like fishing, I can't be a disciple, a fisher of people. But this is not what the story is telling us. Instead, we need to shift back to the light talk. The divine plan to bring light to a dark world and meet us wherever we happen to be. One preacher came up with these other words to describe it. The preacher said, the teacher's invitation becomes, follow me and I will make you shape young minds. The carpenter's invitation sounds like, follow me and I will make you build people. The accountant needs to hear it as, follow me and I will make you you help people know they count. The waitress longs to hear, follow me and I will make you serve the spiritual hunger of people. The physician hears, follow me and I will make you not only a healer of people's bodies, but of their souls. The call to a beleaguered mom and dad becomes, follow me and I will make you a builder of the self-esteem and the dreams of your children. You. Each one of you, each one of you gathered here were meant to be here. I believe that. And are a part of God's divine plan to bring light, to bring hope, to bring meaning to to a dark, fallen, and troubled world. 
You, each one of you, each one of you gathered here today can do this where you are. And you are called to begin where you are and to strive and to grow continuously. In fact, Christ needs you where you are. And Christ needs you to continue to learn and grow and reach and stretch. That is how we grow the kingdom of God on earth and this community of faith. I think that it is an amazingly wonderful thing that each of you, each one of you, were designed to bring the light of God to a corner of the world that only you could possibly reach. I promise you, somewhere, someday, somehow, you will encounter that person. That person that no one else in all of God's creation could reach. And your presence will allow the light of God to shine in their life. Your caring will fill them with the light of God. Your presence in their life will be the light of God come alive right before their tired eyes. The only question left is, are you available? Are you available to bring the light of God to them? Hello, disciples! So all that's left then is for all of us, all of us, to get to work. Amen? Amen. 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 Stand if you're able. scattered upon the hills were gathered together to become one bread. So let your church be gathered together from the ends of the earth into your kingdom. For yours is the glory through Jesus Christ now and forever. And now let us join our voices together saying the prayer that Jesus himself taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now hear these words of benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Now and always and unto ages of ages. Amen.